I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. So today we are joined by two physical therapists. Can you each introduce yourselves? Tell us about where you work and what you do. Sure. So I, uh, my name is Dr. Sean Lorden, and uh, I own and run uh, as the president uh, Concierge Physical Therapy. We're located in Sutton, uh, Mass., right about five minutes south of Worcester. And you know we primarily treat uh, sports and orthopedics, but part of the reason why we're on the podcast today is to share some new and exciting um, women's health information that uh, I've got Dr. Sam, who's going to speak in a second, uh, is leading the way and kind of paving the path uh, really in central mass for this type of, of care. Um, very difficult to find women's health specialty uh, physical therapists in, you know, really anywhere around. So uh, it's really exciting for us to have not only one, but two certified women's health specialists at the clinic. And uh, I'll let Dr. Sam introduce herself. All right. Thanks, Sean. Uh, my name is Dr. Samantha Santiago. I am a physical therapist at Concierge Physical Therapy. And we recently, myself and Dr. Christine, recently got certified in women's health. It's something I've been interested in since PT school started. We learned that it was a niche, you know, very specialty focused um, pelvic floor course that is usually offered like in major cities. So I'm excited to have shadowed and learned a lot more and able to bring it here to Central Mass and hopefully make everyone more aware. Yeah, you guys did that brilliantly. Like you've been on podcasts before. (laughs) That's a good handoff. Perfect. Thanks, good team. Yeah, Yeah. very solid. (laughs) So I had started to tell you a bit about my experience with women's health. Actually, Sean, I think the the first time I ever met you was at Redemption Rock. You said, how did you end up in Worcester? And I said, oh, horrible boyfriend. (laughs) I grew up here. I left and moved to New York City. And then he convinced me to move back. He was the kind of guy that was like constantly discouraging going to a doctor, which now I recognize as a red flag, right? It was like not normalized to go to the dentist or go to the doctor. And I certainly never paid attention to women's health specialists. I have never had no B before. I actually just made my first appointment. And so all of my experiences with things like pap smears that are very specific to women's health were horribly painful. I'm curious, like I've been told that this is gonna be a magical game changer for me in order to make me have a a better experience with the healthcare system to go to a women's specialist in PT. What does that look like? What are the issues that you deal with the most? I think in our culture, it's something that, you know, we, we just don't talk about, especially for women who just had a baby. Um, You know, you're told after you have a baby, especially if, you know, it's not a C-section, you're often told like, oh, leaking's normal. Like that's just how it is. Right. Like you're fine. Everything's fine. fine. Just let it heal itself. Right. And then you have chronic goers who, you know, go just in case. So that's, you know, a category in itself. And it's something, if it's not addressed early, becomes a problem at towards the end of life. So, you know, you see it in older people who can't hold their hold or, you know, they have to go to get up and go to the bathroom so frequently that's where falls get involved. But, you know, that all stems back from, early age. So it's something that can be addressed and is actually preventative medicine in the future. 
I remember a few years ago when I used to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and now I've like kind of turned on them. But Kris Jenner was like getting teased by her daughters because she endorsed Poise, or she was like a spokesperson for Poise, which is a pad designed specifically for like incontinence and bladder issues. And that was kind of a big deal. Like it was a big deal that she was like. I'm okay with this. I want people to know that, like, it's something that I deal with. But it was kind of like, you know, like I said, like, her daughters were teasing her about it. Um, And it wasn't something that I think someone who's kind of at that, like, sort of known as, like, a glamorous person Mm -hmm. I talked about. um, And so I was wondering, like, what can we do to sort of, A, encourage people, I guess, to seek out this treatment as preventative, but then also sort of reduce the stigma of something like, you know, incontinence in an older age in women. Right. Well, you know, in the grocery stores and even if you go to like a CVS, Walgreens, there are incontinence products for aisles on end. So it affects both women and men. So, you know, people are buying these things. Otherwise, it wouldn't take up a whole aisle. But you never hear about anyone buying because it's, you know, there's a lot of shame attached to it. So someone's buying these products, but it doesn't come up in casual, everyday conversation. Um, And I think some of the research has shown like in European countries, pelvic floor physical therapy is almost adjunct to postpartum. As soon as you, after you have a baby, you're automatically paired with a women's health physical therapist in some of those countries. So I think it's something that's up and coming and with, you know, a lot of like the women's rights movements and things like that, it's starting to come more to the surface instead of something that's, you know, your deep, dark secret that you don't talk about. I'm getting overly personal today, but I'm just going to go ahead and say this, that as a teacher, I never am allowed to pee during the day. Yeah. You have to run. You have to like, I have three and a half minutes. Like, (laughs) It's so crazy. I read in the literature you gave us that it's normal to pee like five to eight times a day. But if you're teaching for seven hours, you maybe get one chance to run to the bathroom. Right. And so that is one silver lining of this virtual classroom environment. Like I can much more easily slip away and use the restroom if I need to. Mm -hmm. What are the risks of not using the bathroom when you need to? And then how often should women be using the bathroom and like when should they be worried? Um, so it sounds like you kind of have a similar, uh, similar issue with me. You know, we, we treat patients on the hour. So that transition period, you don't really have time to go to the bathroom. So on one end, you have the chronic holders who, because of their job, waitresses, teachers, anyone that's kind of scheduled on the dot, they are chronic holders um, to the point where, you know, it's almost like a syndrome, like as soon as you get in the car and turn the key on, you're like, I have to drive as fast as I can home because I, I have to go to the bathroom or I need to wait until after lunch. So five hours have gone by before you go to the bathroom. So on the chronic holder end, you're almost overfilling your bladder. So your bladder is both made out of voluntary muscle, which you have control of, and skeletal muscle. So, you know, that point where you can't hold it anymore. Maybe, you know, you hear of, you know, people who drink too much and have a late night and they just have no control because they're asleep things like that, where it's part of our control and not. In the case of a chronic holder, you're pushing your bladder to the limit every time. So that could be, you know, at risk for kidney issues or, you know, infections, things like that, if it's not controlled. So normal is about five to eight. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who go every half hour on the hour, or if you're going to leave the house, they go just in case. So anything more than eight, you know, you're not letting your bladder actually fill to capacity. You're, you're emptying it every time you get the chance. So your bladder is getting weaker over time. Oh, that makes sense. I have like, would never have thought of that part of it. Cause I'm sometimes not always, but like a just in case person, especially like around bedtime, I'm always like, Oh my God. I don't want to have to get up. Like, it's like, that's the worst feeling to me is like, if it's like I've been asleep for two hours, but I feel like it's almost like any other muscle, right? Where it's like, you have to work, work it out in order for it to fully or like get stronger or strengthen, I guess. Right. And that's what women's health physical therapy is for is retraining that because, you know, these are habits that we pick up with our lifestyle. So we have, you know, athletes who are over-regulated I think, Sarah, you had a comment about that when we were chatting earlier. And then you have someone who gets really weak from, you know, either a surgery, uh, vaginal birth, someone that's just deconditioned from other illnesses. So you kind of have both ends, but women's health effect uh, can help both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, I just finished watching the documentary about Larry Nasser, and it's called Athlete A. Um, it took me a while to get through. I had to watch it in small chunks because it's so painful. But essentially, the USA Gymnastics team doctor is taking advantage of his position as a physician. And he continues to do these pelvic floor adjustments for the girls. For the which, gymnasts. Yeah, it amounts to be sexual abuse. Um, and they don't know it. They think he's doing a legitimate what would medical right. procedure. Right, because they're like 14 and 15 year old girls who frankly spend a lot of time with adults outside of their family because they're essentially like professional gymnasts at this point in their life. So unfortunately, because that's been in the news so much, when I saw pelvic floor adjustment, that's my immediate association. And it shouldn't be because it sounds like it's a legitimate (laughs) thing that you help out with. So what is a pelvic floor adjustment supposed to be? So I have a model here. I know this is audio, but so you guys can see the. Yeah, uh, we can grab screenshots later. Yeah, so the, oh, yeah, perfect. So this is the pelvis. Um, my tailbone's actually falling off. So I'll move that. But once you take out all of the organs, so if you take out the bladder and you take out the rectum, you basically just have a cup of muscles similar to how you have a rotator cuff and then your core muscles. It's just a cluster of muscles. So in terms of a gymnast, their um, pelvic floor is overregulated or too tight. So similar to how you would do like a deep tissue massage or, you know, um, a pressure release to like rotator, upper trap, or even like your quads, hamstrings, things like that, there are techniques for the pelvic floor. You know, the way we learned it in the course is it's consent, consent, consent. So you kind of go through each step of the process with, I'm going to do this. Is this okay? I'm going to do this. Is this okay? So you're going through that um, consent from beginning throughout up until the end. And I think it's unfortunate that that happened and kind of put a bad, you know, connotation to the profession because it really is like a very small group that learn these techniques and it's actually very beneficial so it's unfortunate that that happened um but you know we learn techniques that if someone is uncomfortable with internal 
there are ways to achieve it external and the way that um, Nasser, you know, he, the parents were outside, you know, you, for someone that young, you almost wish the parent was in the room and behind the screen and it, there was an open dialogue of consent throughout. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't know. I'm, like, I'm running in my head. I'm like, these kids. Yeah. And to jump in on that too, you know, it's part of our education, you know, at, even at the basic level of PT schools, they show us these manipulations and mobilizations. So one of them is a coccygeal mobilization, which really the only way to, so I saw, this is a couple of years ago now, but, you know, as a teenage basketball player, he was a male, um, but he fell on his coccyx. So he fell on the ground which and is, he had like the tailbone, right? Right. So it's kind of, you know, it kind of shapes, you know, it kind of shapes down like that underneath. So when it fractures or if it just, it can literally dislocate and it comes up like that. Right. So what you have to do is, you know, you, you know, you have to get in there and you have to basically distract it by pulling it and, and just pulling it back. So, you know, and it's, unfortunately it's, it's an uncomfortable thing, you know, but you have to get consent, 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 like what Sam was saying. And, you know, I went so far as to have, you know, his mother in the room while I was doing it, which was probably not super, you know, it was probably super not very comfortable for him. But, you know, I think everything is, you know, you've got to make sure that we're protecting, you know, our, you know, everything we're trying to do. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, articulating that this is something we wouldn't be doing it unless we had, you know, number one, radiographic proof, right? So an AP, you know, a medial lateral x-ray, but number two, you know, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't feel like it's, it's what's best for, for the patient. You know, if, if I didn't go through everything else that I could do externally, manipulating the spine, um, you know, trying to hit it with dry needles, trying to do, you know, whatever, soft tissue massage, anything we could possibly do, exercise. You know, we throw the book at, you know, most, most conditions, you know, before we're going to go <laughs> consider anything internal. Um, and I think Sam would agree, right, Sam? So you know, women's health is a little bit different because you're probably going to have to do two components of it, but there's a lot that we can do uh, that doesn't, doesn't necessarily include an, an internal exam if people aren't comfortable with that. And Sean, even for the simplest physical therapy adjustments on any part of the body, when you're working with women, how do you approach it? Just because it is such a hands-on profession in a time when we're so cognizant of things like me too. Sure. You know, I think it's just all about consent, right? And I think the biggest thing is, you know, if I'm doing something that's, you know, in a zone that's uncomfortable, or let's say I'm working on a sacrum, right? So let's say I'm, this happened the other day. So let's say I'm, um, you know, dry needling a sacrum, you've got to get in there and really, you know, S2, S3 is kind of deep, right? So, you know, I think I brought in, you know, I brought Gina in, Sam. So I brought in another, another PT and we both did it together, you know? So I think that's one of the things where I've always got the door open you know, the door is never closed yeah. in the email room, but, uh, you know, and it's just a layer of comfort too. I, I think people understand that number one, I'm a doctor, I'm trying to get them healthy, you know, and I think everything stems from that and you give people the choice, you know, so if it was something that was uncomfortable or in an area that was uncomfortable, you know, like th the thoracic spine, you know, I have, I always have to work on mid back, right. And on women, that's something, sometimes I've got to undo a bra, right. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a funny thing, but, you know, I'll always say, you know, would you mind pulling that, you know, opening it up for me? Is that okay? Yeah, like, do you want to do that? Yeah. Sure. And if you don't, I mean, that's fine. I can move it. I can do whatever, um, you know, with the needles that makes things a little bit more difficult or even with the grass and tools to try to get, get to that tissue. But, you know, whatever makes people comfortable and everybody's got a different layer of, of comfort too. And that's something that I've learned in, you know, in 10 years of practice is that you can never assume anything. 
you know, I think just having that conversation and just, you know, just being honest and just saying, this is what I want to do. You know, is that okay? Um, yeah. This is what I, I think, think is really beneficial. How about being adaptive, right? And really, I mean, we experience that with teaching, right? You have to like, you have to change what you might have to change what you're doing at the drop of a hat based on like a, some, like a student's needs. And I feel like in PT, it's like, it's a, a similar situation where you might have someone who's, you know, uncomfortable or more comfortable with something and you just like figure it out based on what they need you to do. Yeah. It's funny. It's a funny story. So there's a, I'm certified in uh, spinal manipulation now too, much kind of like chiropractor, you know, what chiropractors do. And this weekend I was taking a, you know, a course, you know, in New Hampshire and there was some techniques where you're literally on top of people. Have you guys ever gotten a chiropractic adjustment? Never. <laughs> so you were literally like right on top of them. Right. So think about, you know, female, you know, just the anatomy, and everything else, like you've really got to be, you know, there are some positions where you have to put a pillow in front of you or behind, like, and sometimes, you know, the way they teach things across the world is totally different, you know? So some techniques that they teach, you know, a European style, they bring it over to America and people are appalled because, you know, things are, what is this? there's friction in areas that there shouldn't be, you know? So I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's good that, you know, all of that, you know, the Me Too movement happened and we're more aware of this stuff because it protects people, you know, it protects their, you know, their feeling of um, comfort, you know, and that's important in medicine because we want people to feel comfortable getting the help that they need. I mean, that's number one. You know, if that person doesn't walk in the clinic, then that's somebody whom we could have helped but didn't. And for a reason, you know, that we should have been able to solve. Right. And that sounds like something that's like the... Um, difference across different countries or different regions of the world. Like that sounds like a, an issue in the U S where like it's a societal thing where we have to first say like, you might have this, this, and this problem and it's okay to go get it fixed. And it's okay that like your, you know, PT or who, like whatever, you know, professional you're working with might have to do things that seem different and crazy. Right. But if you approach it in a way, like it sounds like you guys just, make everything super clear and ask questions and ask for consent like yeah it's okay but like it starts at that top right like you said like where and I like that you mentioned like... comfort because I saw on your website that you say like you don't have to live with pain that's not the normal and I was thinking about the first time I ever went to PT was this summer I broke my arm riding a skateboard it was very stupid <laughs> no it was cool actually so <laughs> But my husband was like, Sarah, you have to go to a doctor. And he really encouraged it. And like I said, there's a big contrast between this previous relationship I was in where I was so strongly discouraged from getting a medical professional opinion about things. And then my husband, who's like, nope, we're going to get an x-ray. You need to go to PT. And it was such a wonderful experience. And it healed so much faster than it would have if I just let my arm heal on its own. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Sarah, you mentioned like living with pain and I was thinking about, um, specifically endometriosis, which is something that I don't think I'd ever heard of until I was like 22. Um, and I actually, I first heard of it from Lena Dunham, the actress slash writer slash producer of, um, the HBO show girls. And she talked about her issues with it a lot and how she had very, very serious, like chronic pain that was like debilitating to her. And she was like, people don't really talk about the fact that like this affects a lot of women and people just live with it because they assume that they just have really bad cramps um, and that kind of stuff. So 
hearing more about endometriosis like in the mainstream has been I think super important but I'm curious about how physical therapy and how you guys uh, would approach it to help help the pain and to deal with um, symptoms of endo. Sure. Um, we, I actually learned that specifically in this recent course, so it's exciting to be able to talk about it. But you're right. Um, no one really talks about endometriosis. Every You just assume that periods equal cramps and it's <laughs> for a week or maybe more and we just don't talk about it. It is what it is. Um, but really what it is, is you have like this extra lining, this tissue, scar tissue moving up. So it starts, you know, in the canal and it can work its way up, but some people have it so extreme that you're getting that scar tissue, that dense, like, I'm making the symbol with my hands. <laughs> I do my that all the time. <laughs> I'm, like, like, I'm doing something, everyone. So then if it's going up into, you know, the stomach, every, like you feel it right under that area, right underneath your belly button and you're getting, you know, pain. So then you're in the, a crouched position. And then from there you're getting, uh, you know, ridiculous symptoms or pain into your low back. So it's preferred pain. And then you start to, you know, avoid doing things that you like because you're in so much pain. So with women's health, physical therapy, you'd start off with pain reduction, you know, getting all of that to calm down. And it might be, you know, at first some glides just to decrease the sensation of that shooting pain that's just radiating across your front. And then it's getting those muscles to co-contract correctly. Um, you know, everything's attached to your pelvis. So like, right, if you're feeling where your hand, put your hands on your hips and then feel down the bottom of your pelvis bone, like that hard end right before, you know, your underwear line going up, those are all your ab core muscles. And then, you know, if you just wrap your hands across, that's your low back. So if you have pain in the front, you know, just even doing a couple of pelvic tilts, you can imagine if you're having a severe cramp, like you're not going to yeah. sit straight, you're going to cower you know, I'm going to be laying on my side with a blanket and a heating pad, but, you know, um, working towards pain management is the first step and then getting back to functional activities, your daily life. And then on top of that, you know, exercise, running, whatever it is that helps also stress relief with endometriosis. So everything's attached, everything goes together. So uh, physical therapy can definitely help with that. And there are certain techniques that, you know, are a little closer. You might want to do behind closed doors that are external that can definitely help with endometriosis. Absolutely. And I think, um, cause for some people it is, uh, the chronic pain is so extreme that people just like end up getting hysterectomies. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that a lot of people would like to avoid if they can. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but there has to be a middle ground of like living with that pain or just like, getting your uterus removed because that's very extreme. So it's nice to know that there is something that you can do to alleviate that, which like I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. A lot of the techniques we use are more patient education. So if there are some things that are more internal, you know, we give you the tools. So, you know, we'll see you once a week and then give you the tools to do it outside where you're more comfortable at home and then it's a lot of it's checking back and saying like, it's working, it's great. Or, you know, my exercises are too easy. Like, can we make this more challenging and just switching from laying down to sitting up? But a lot of it is just the comfort and the conversation you have with your women's health physical therapist and your personal goals, which can stay between you two or, 
you can talk about it with your groups of friends and you find out that it's more common than we think. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it. Normalizing women's health issues and talking to one another. For sure. We talk so much about mental health and how no one is shy about going to the gym and saying that they're taking care of their body, but there's often a stigma around mental health and we don't talk about it as much. So we've been trying to be very open with that, but I've also been so impressed by my middle schoolers. It's just a different Gen Z. I have so much hope for it. They're just so much more open and talking about all types of health. And so this is an extension of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your paths? How'd you end up here? Sean, do you want to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You know, so my path, uh, I always knew I wanted to, um, you know, have kind of my own, my own practice and, you know, focus on sports medicine, orthopedics, uh, you know, went to Northeastern, did an accelerated doctorate there, and then, you know, lived in the seaport for, for 10 years and, um, you know, worked every type of job. So I've worked, um, you know, home health. I've seen every spectrum that a physical therapist can work in hospital, home health, uh, skilled nursing, uh, long-term care, everything. And, you know, I find, sports medicine to be the most rewarding because you can just, first of all, it's just the community involvement of it. I love that part, you know, being from Shrewsbury and opening up a practice 20 minutes away. Uh, I live in Grafton now, but um, it's just really cool to be able to help, you know, your friends and family and your neighbors, you know, and I think having some of those conversations and meeting people like new people too, especially in your community is just, you know, just a lot of fun for me. And it just adds to a layer of joy that I already get from helping people. Um, but it's just fun, you know, I enjoy it. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's where I, you know, this is where I've always seen myself and, you know, I think it's, you know, and Sam has been a, a big part of that. Sam came on board, uh, really what, six months, Sam, probably six months into opening, you know, a few years ago. And, uh, you know, she's really been a stalwart part of the team since, and, you know, now we're opening up another location, uh, in April, hopefully fingers crossed in, uh, Westboro. And, uh, you know, we're looking to, to really expand, expand fast in the next 10 years. Uh, we're looking to do 10 locations in 10 years. So that's the plan. (laughs) And the premise is, you know, to help as many people as we can and to really offer, you know, just a different kind of core product, which is, you know, it's a holistic kind of model, right? So we're looking, like you just mentioned mental health. So I work with a wonderful uh, really wellness expert who happens to be a doctor of PT from Northeastern, whom I graduated with. Her name is Valerie Figali. And she just, you know, I sent a patient to her the other day and he just had a ton going on. And just like many of us, we read so much on the internet and you're like, I got to take this supplement, that supplement, Facebook's telling me to take this, Instagram's telling me to take this. And you're like, ah, this can't hurt. And, you know, I think especially with the Corona, people really want to support their immune systems and they're worried about getting any sickness, never mind Corona. And, it's just, you have to look at people from head to toe, right? And stress, sleep levels, you know, hormone levels, you know, there's just nutrition. There's so many things that go into, and especially low back pain, there's an 80% prevalence of depression with low back pain. So how do you treat low back pain without concomitantly understanding that people, four out of five people that are on my treatment table are going to have symptoms of depression. Do I, do I do the screening? Of course I don't do the screening because I just know the prevalence, you know, cause yep. everybody who goes to their doctor isn't going to say, you know, that that screening is antiquated in my opinion. And I think it's just 
crap. <laughs> that's right. just my personal opinion. I think most people, you know, if they're really seriously depressed, I think that's a different story. And you want, you have to capture those folks. But I think people who are on the border who just really have lost interest in, in, in things and, you know, you know, maybe they haven't thought about killing themselves, but they have just lost interest. You know, maybe yes. they're just not as, you know, think about seasonal affective disorder at the winter, right? I mean, it's got to affect, you know, it's got to, I know it affects a lot of people, but you know, even that, I mean, we see, I, I think we see more low back pain in the winter, Sam. And I think that's not just due to, sh- due to shoveling and everything else. I really do, truly believe there's correlate between, you know, just seasonal affective and, and low back pain too. But uh, just, again, just tying it back to the, you know, seeing people as a whole person, you know, our, our assessments. So Sarah, you hurt your, sh- your shoulder. Was it your shoulder? You hurt? Oh, my elbow. I broke my elbow. Oh. So your elbow. So like everything's connected, right? So your elbow, your wrist, your shoulder, your neck, and your mid back. If you don't, if you just treat your elbow in isolation, that is not going to get that, that much better faster, right? It's probably going to get better, but it's not going to get better as fast as it would if, you know, we were treating your whole upper body and spine. And chances are, if I looked at it, what's up? Elbow is connected to your wrist. But we should be using that to to teach people about holistic health, not just about anatomy. But believe it's it or true. not, and some yeah, people was- literally just, you go into a, P, you know, a PT's office or a doctor's office, they do this and they go, you're fine. See you later. See you in six months. Here's some oxycodone <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that happened five yeah. before this whole thing. I mean, that's what was happening. People would go and be like, my back is hurting me. And at the yep. PCP level, they would blast them out with the oxycodone and a no script for PT. 7% of folks that present even today to a PCP with low back pain, get sent to PT, 7%. And that is somebody whom we could immediately help. It's unbelievable. So, you know, I think if we could just get the word out and people understood that they could come see us without a script because we're doctors of PT, we have what's called direct access, which we are really primary care level practitioners, but nobody talks about it. And I think some PTs are, are worried about even marketing it because they're nervous about getting complicated cases. And that's just my personal opinion. Like somebody who just got in a car accident and might have some neuro symptoms or a myelopathy or something that they needs to go to the ER. Um, you know, so I you think some, need PTs like a referral. some insurances do require it, Molly, but you know, on the whole, like, like a PPO does not need a referral to come see us. And most people, we just call over and we've got a great relationship with UMass and, and most of the primary care offices. And they understand that, you know, our assessment, if we find red flags, we're sending them back. Like if Sam does a women's health eval, she finds a red flag, she's going to send them back to their gynecologist or uro- urogynecologist. And we know what the red flags are. We know how to screen for cancer and, and things like this. Or, and you kind of just get that gut feeling too. You kind of know if something is, at least, I, you know, I've been doing it long enough. You kind of know if something's not adding up. But uh so that's my path. I, I just, <laughs> but uh, Sam, what do you think? Your turn. Oh, um, well, my mom, well, I, I grew up in the health field. So my mom is um, an OBGYN nurse. She works with babies. So I kind of grew up knowing that side of things. And then my dad works in mental health, specifically older adult geriatric psych. So I kind of have both of those things, but I knew I didn't want to do either of those specifically. And then I was in high school, um, dislocated my knee, all of a sudden needed physical therapy. Um, funny story, dislocated my knee at Abercrombie where I was working. So it ended up being <laughs> like a weird situation. And then, you know, I was going to PT for the first couple months of my senior year. And I was like, I could do this. I was like, this has the sports part. Like I can talk sports here. 
still kind of medicine, but everyone's in athleisure. So I was like, this is definitely <laughs> <Perfect>. my fact. <laughs> So then um, I went to Mass College of Pharmacy here in Worcester, and I did my thesis on women's health. So um, after working, kind of started to focus in on that, and I've been lucky that I got to do some continuing ed and learn more about it. So I'm really excited about it. Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you guys as a part of our community. Thanks for having us, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, I have to ask you sean have you ever watched the show schitt's creek or heard about it has anyone ever told you that you are ted you oh my ted? god <laughs> he's one of the makers yeah. ted is alexis so the d- daughter like the main younger girl ted's her her boyfriend who is a vet and you are so you look like him and you Ringer. talk like him yeah so for everyone listening he's beloved ted the vet is <laughs> our guest today yes you remind yeah you remind me so much of him totally i'm glad you brought up Shit's creek too because annie murphy recently posted a picture of the turtle boy statue in worcester Worcester. annie murphy plays alexis yes and apparently her newest project she is a liquor store clerk in worcester oh really that's that's the premise interesting i know but yes you'll have to check it out so they're actually filming it in Brockton or something? Is that the project? Yeah. What it, where is it? Is it Brockton? There is. Yes, it must be the Brockton one. <laughs> there's, uh, for people who don't know, there's a project that Sarah brought up that is that takes place in Worcester that is filming in Brockton, which, no offense to Brockton, but, like, I'm a little insulted. <laughs> like, come on. Filming so here. one shot. Yeah. I mean, why don't you just, you just got to film that in Worcester? I mean, it's right? not, not too good for, uh, what is it, Liam Neeson? Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's and, just, or Ryan Reynolds. Ryan yeah, Reynolds perfect. is here too. Um, but yes, so you gotta check it out and see. Yeah. See Ted. And before we let you go, we do like to touch on pop culture. Is there something you're watching, listening to, reading right now that you're just absolutely in love with? Um, I'm on my second go of Shit's Creek, so <laughs> yeah. I made that reference because. Um, actually, the other women's health specialist, Christine, we I only respond to any of her messages in Schitt's Creek GIFs or GIFs. Yes. So she's had enough of me. Like this I morning, she had a late start and I, you know, she was sending me all these things and I only respond in David or Alexis comments. So I love that. Christine had a, so Christine had a flat tire on 290 this morning. So she, I can't even imagine those, those GIFs. <laughs> that, that's a good you know shit's creek uh yeah just moira opportunity being like, there yeah oh my god um how about you sean what am i reading right now i'm reading i do like a lot of audiobooks uh, me too it's just easier right? like if i'm driving to the cape or i'm you know driving around i do like the daily drive on spotify do you guys know what that is no so the daily drive is is I mean, it's like the, so it's a 15 minute drive door to door to get to my clinic. So it gives me like, it's six minutes. It's like, it's so weird. Your phone, I swear it knows exactly who you are. It does. So it it delivers me six minutes of NPR, which is just like basic news. And then, you know, a couple songs that I like, but it's so weird that it it like kind of knows, it can like tell my mood. It's the weirdest thing. But uh, maybe like. Put stuff together for you. Yeah, so it puts stuff together for you. And then it gives me like some stock stuff. But uh, cool. I like, I've been watching Better Call Saul. Um, 
so I loved, I loved, um, I know it's kind of older now, but I love like Ozark. I liked, um, Breaking Bad. And then, you know, I literally have watched everything on Netflix from like that Bill Gates thing. Uh, oh yeah. I admittedly did watch the, was it Monday night or Tuesday? I watched the last one and I'm like, I was just getting Claire? mad. I was just Claire so was I was just, crazy. I was just getting She's so She's unhinged. <laughs> I really think she is. I was just telling, I told Brooke, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> I can't do Done. it. But I think, um, she, does anybody know what actually happens? Because I think, I, I mean, obviously she gets replaced, but does she have like a mental so breakdown? What happens? I heard that, no, I heard that, or People Magazine reported from some source uh, at some point yeah. that she leaves because she picks someone too early. And she's mm-hmm. just like, I, I did it. I'm done. I mean, it wasn't even a show. She obviously likes that guy. So just cast me out. I mean, I can appreciate that. I mean, I can appreciate that. But the whole premise of the show is to get give everybody a chance. Right. It wasn't even like, I don't know. It was interesting. But yeah. you know, I guess it's kind of what you go on the show for, I guess. But it's not good television. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. It, right? I saw that like, clip of Chris Harrison who's like, congratulations, you've blown up The Bachelor. And you can tell he's saying it like for the drama, but he also like seems mad. <laughs> like he seems like unhappy with her. The irony is that Chris Harris thinks that his like his life's mission is to help people get together and create true love. Really Isn't that the whole premise of it? But he doesn't care about any of that. He just wants the drama. That's all yeah. he really wants because that's what you know. That's what gets the ratings. Well, I always imagine him. Um, there was a show called Unreal that was on a couple of years ago. Sarah that, and I both yeah. watched it, but it was like a drama. TV show based on like a, you know, it took place on the set of a Bachelor or Bachelorette type show. And that was what it was, is that all the producers ever did was just do things to like needle people and get the drama out of it. And I imagine that that's like Chris, right? He's just like, give me the good TV. Until it goes too far. <laughs> Until Colton jumps a fence. Now, what's the story? Is is he single or is he married? What's the What's the deal with him? He was married for a long time. And then I think he got divorced. I think it was like six or maybe more longer ago than that. But I remember when he got divorced, I was like, is Chris Harrison going to be the next Bachelor? Oh, that would have been brilliant. Right? And they could have had like women his age. I think it would be really fun. Really diversify that portfolio. I bet you that happens at some point if he's still single. Right? He's not a bad looking guy. <laughs> we'll <Sarah>. see. <laughs> I gotta catch up on my bachelor. Um, I watched this week the new Sasha Baron Cohen Borat movie, and it blew my mind. Usually, the people that I listen to criticism from are kind of on the same page, but like NPR, the New York Times, and the Ringer all had totally different takes. That's very interesting. Yeah, and some of them really loved it and thought he had done a wonderful job of blending the reality show that we're living through in 2020 with reality and creating a narrative arc other people thought like this should have just been a sketch show these things don't naturally tie together and then some people were like how much was the rudy giuliani footage manipulated i don't feel like it was very manipulated at all watching it and getting the context of it can you review what happens with rudy giuliani so if you guys haven't seen the new borat or um on netflix have it yeah Yeah. uh amazon Amazon. oh you're right Okay. But um, obviously, years t- was it 10 years ago he made the last one? Mm-hmm. Um, the premise now is like Borat 
comes back to the United States. He's on a he's sent on a mission by his home country, um, and his daughter, like sto- you know his you know it's obviously an actress, but she's a stowaway. She comes with him. And then he just does Borat stuff, but a little bit differently because he's famous in America now, or he says famous. Um, so he has to, like, disguise himself. So a lot of it is this girl who plays the daughter doing different stuff, and she decides she wants to be a journalist like her father. Um, and so there is a sequence in which she is going to interview Rudy Giuliani, um, and she's like, oh, I'm such a big fan. And he latches on immediately to this like very pretty young girl and he's like you're gonna be great we should specify too Rudy Giuliani thinks it's real thinks yes she is a real reporter from Kazakhstan Kazakhstan. yes but essentially what happens is like they do the interview that part's sort of whatever and then she's like will you stay for a drink and that's when it sort of takes a turn and where he kind of got himself in trouble to me the footage it seems like I don't think it was, like, the news that broke maybe made it seem worse, but watching it, it's pretty bad. Yeah. He, I, I feel... He has his hands down his pants. Which, he's like, I am adjusting or taking off my microphone, but it looks like he's adjusting something else. <laughs> um, it's odd. It's pretty Like, they're sitting down and having a drink, and he's... What? They're she's in like, a hotel take off your room. microphone. It's weird. But I don't think he comes off well. So... Well, how does he not know he's being filmed? He does know he's being filmed for the interview. I believe after that, the camera is like hidden. Yeah, it's like yeah. a hidden. So camera. like the real camera, the real the cameramen key. leave. I but think the camera is still running. Yes, but I think that it's not. Um, I ah. think that you know he chooses to do stuff in states where that's not a legal issue. I was horrified by how they easily accessed the president's attorney. <laughs> I was like, they. he really agreed to this interview with like some obscure Facebook news reporter yeah. from Kazakhstan, but he did. And then the other thing that bothered me was just how vulnerable she had to make herself. But because of that, a lot of people are talking about how she may get nominated for an Oscar. She was a, she's a very good... So the actress is 24 years old, um, and the, she's playing a 15-year-old. But, yeah, I thought she was excellent. And I can't imagine how difficult it was for them to cast a person who was completely unknown, not American, and would not break. If I was filming those scenes with Borat, I would have been cracking up the entire movie. Like, you I only get like one challenge. shot. Right, and that's a, such a challenge. Um, it was very impressive, I thought. Now I want to see it. Yeah, I yeah. recommend it. The full name of the movie is Borat Subsequent Movie Film Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. <laughs> Which is like, that's about the same length as the... That was a wonderful dictation, movie. Sarah. That was pretty good. <laughs> teacher. Teacher Sarah. But um, yeah, I thought it was good. I do think that those three sort of like th- like theses that you presented from those three different reviewers are like all right in a way, though. Mm-hmm. And I think it depended, too, on whether it was a man or a woman giving the critique on the Ringer podcast. The two men who were talking about it said the best scene in the movie is when the daughter, Tutar, she swallows like a little plastic (laughs) baby that's a cupcake decoration. And Borat brings her to a real women's clinic and says... Well, a a women's crisis center. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's not a real one. He says, you know, my daughter has this baby in her 
It's the tiny plastic baby. But he makes it seem as if they're there for an abortion. And the clinician is trying to talk them out of it. It's a pastor or a reverend. Oh, God. It's it's a lot. But... (laughs) The the man from The Ringer who was speaking about it said, it's the most powerful scene in the film. Look at this communication, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the woman, Amanda Dobbins, is like, no, it is the most horrifying scene. And so to make light of abortion the day after Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed, like, I don't know, she was very, very upset. That's so interesting because my I take the, I kind of see it as like, I thought the scene was great because they're like exposing this like doofus fake pregnancy crisis center guy. Right. Like that's the whole point of it. So anyways, I like, you can great. bring to it your own take and that gives it even more depth. Yeah. I recommend it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you guys haven't had a chance to talk about that you would definitely want our listeners to know? Yeah. You know, thanks for having us guys. And, you know, hopefully when people listen to this, you know, maybe one or two people will act and, and get some help who maybe wouldn't have felt comfortable otherwise to go see a doctor or, you know, a PT or somebody. Or you even know. ask about it, right? Like, you yeah. just approach it as like... Just adding it to the conversation, you know, mm-hmm. that's huge. You know, and just like Sam was saying, it's just not something people love to talk about. It's not something that's going to come up over dinner. Like, you know, an elderly lady talking about her low back pain or... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like her yep. knee pain or, you know, her hip pain or whatever else. It's, you know, that's something people tend to, to keep to themselves. So thanks for bringing the conversation to the forefront. And I think, um, you know, I think that's really important. So thanks for doing that, guys. Thank you. Thank well, you. I have yeah. been Sarah. I have been Molly. And this is Bye. Bye. Bye.